0: There is a lot of misinformed people who don't believe in hypnosis. And that is because how it's portrayed in Hollywood and in movies, that people can control their minds and behavior against their will. And that's just not possible. That's not true. Because otherwise, all hypnotists of this world will have taken over the world. Wouldn't that be true? Hypnosis is on doors by Harvard, Stanford, Yale, Columbia, the Mayo Clinic, the National Institute of Health, the American Psychological, the American Psychiatric, the British Medical Association, the American Dental Association, and an hospital in France, Saint-Léon, is using hypnosis instead of general anesthesia. In the Montreal Children's Hospital, I started using hypnosis to help with pain and anxiety and reduce medication, and according to the Stanford Institute of Mind-Brain Research, one of the most effective uses of hypnosis, the trend state, is pain alleviation or elimination. And as a matter of fact, it's been medically demonstrated and prove that people that use hypnosis prior to surgery use 90 percent less anesthesia than people who do not use hypnosis and women also use hypnosis for what we call hypnobirthing to go through birthing without the epidurals and medication so there's been a lot a lot massive amount of research around hypnosis <laughs>
1: I am your host, Tracy Outsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 161 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I have had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Today, I am delighted to introduce you to Meggie Howell. Meggie, I forgot to ask you, is that how you pronounce your name? (laughs) Hi, Tracy. My name is pronounced Meggie Oul. It's French. (laughs) Meggie Oul. Okay. Oh my gosh. You know, the way my brain works is I get a name, like the way it's pronounced in my brain, and it's just like a worm and it just sticks there. So Meggie Oul. You know what? I think that's probably the last time you'll hear me say your last name. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway... One more time. Maggie Ohl is the author of Finish What You Start, Breaking Out of the Busy Mind, Restless Body Trap to Create a Life You Love, Even with ADHD. She's a certified hypnotherapist and self-hypnosis teacher. After surviving a paragliding accident, she found hypnosis and discovered that it not only removed the stress she was carrying from that accident, but also helped her ADHD symptoms. She now helps her clients to unlock what's stopping them so that they can stay focused and achieve their goals, and she spends her free time paragliding. So you got back on the paraglider, right, Meggie? Yes, I did. (laughs) And traveling in the great outdoors. So, Meggie, did I get all that right? Yes,
0: you did. Absolutely. Thank you. It was a wonderful introduction.
1: Wonderful. So I'm going to be straight up with you, Meggie. When my podcast producer told me about you and what you do, I was like, Grace, what about science? Because when I think about a hypnotist, I think of someone on the Tonight Show or a corporate event that makes the audience do stupid things. But then I thought about therapies like tapping or meditation and how not too long ago they were thought of as pretty woo-woo and very unscientific. And often we know that something works in medicine before we know why it works. So I want to make sure that we're always talking about the newest therapies, we're leading that charge, but I also wanna make sure that we're talking about science. And Grace assured me that yes, we are going to talk about the science around hypnotherapy, right?
0: Yes, absolutely, I love hypnosis.
1: (laughs) I'm really excited for you to share that information with me and our audience. But first, can we talk about your ADHD? Yes,
0: absolutely.
1: Okay. So I would love to know your symptoms.
0: Yeah. So I think my symptoms have evolved uh, over the years, like before the accident, they were really, really bad. And I had to do so much work after that. They, I'm more aware when they arise. And Now, when they come, when I'm not managing my ADHD appropriately or my current state, they arise like a lot of forgetness. I'm probably not the only one there that find myself in the kitchen 10 times, (laughs) Um, not knowing what I'm there to get. Um, I have a lot of inattentive. um, So, which is interesting that my book is finished, what you start is also because I've I'm constantly having to keep focus. Um, But my hyperactivity, that's where I get the going and being on the go all the time. And that's where doing all those outdoors activity and paragliding feed me with that dopamine and that excitement. But I also love all those symptoms because I find that they inform me when I'm actually not taking care of myself because they get worse way worse when I'm not handling the basic needs of my body and mind. Right.
1: So um, are you inattentive ADHD then?
0: Yeah. And hyperactive as well. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. So combined type.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you, you've got a little bit of both. So what were you like as a child? Let's start there.
0: Mm mm hmm. And you know what? What is interesting is when I was growing up, uh, it was so taboo ADHD. And
1: where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Quebec, in Canada. Okay. Okay. And it was taboo there? Oh, yeah. It was like if you were the kid with ADHD, you were finger pointed at. So it's like no one wanted to mm-hmm. have ADHD. And so I grew up struggling a lot because I couldn't f- focus in class. So I was really good at school. Like, so. Like it wasn't even a question for the adult around me if I had ADHD because um, I was really good at school. I was working really hard, but I will sit in a classroom. And the moment I sit in the classroom, I'll be spaced out into my favorite places, but I would have no idea what was going on. And even... and. Even when a teacher will ask me a question, I will have them repeat every question and I will go home, do the homework and revise all the material I will I learn in class. So it was a lot of work, but I was doing it because that's the only way for me to be able to attend school. But I was good at doing that and learning so, on my own. Mm-hmm.
1: Maggie, what you would do is you'd be spaced out in the classroom, but then you'd go home and teach yourself everything you needed to know. So you could do really well grade-wise in school.
0: Yeah. So it wasn't really noticed at that time. And I was a new term I have discovered recently. My hyperactivity was more in um, the oppositional defiant disorder. So I will just never... And that means like I will... I will always have constant fight with my brother and sister in in start them at home, not at school, but I will always I will never stop like always going against authority
1: in my family. And that's how it showed up for me. Ah uh, they typically say that girls internalize their symptoms. Boys tend to externalize them. And it almost sounds like you internalized your symptoms everywhere except for at home when you would get in fights with your siblings.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I have five siblings. So there was a lot of people to pick on.
1: <laughs> okay. And so all the way through school, no problem at all. In college, you were able to just get right in there. That transition wasn't a problem.
0: Mm, yeah. That's when things got harder because then I started um, working. I started working when I was 12, and at 14, I already had two jobs. And so having that on top. And then I always kind of kept two jobs. And so, and then
1: going to school. Did you have to? mm -hmm. Did you have to have two jobs? Like what was going on in your family? Or was this just, this is how driven you were. You wanted to work two jobs.
0: Yeah, I think it's absolutely my hyperactivity. I mean, my family, my parents didn't have a lot of money, like given that we were a lot of children too. And Mm -hmm. so- they, I wasn't receiving <laughs> money from them. So anything, any clothing that I wanted to buy, it had to come from my money. And I was just really hypersensitive, obviously, with ADHD, in the sense that I didn't want to burden my parents with one more thing that I had to do. Like I was taking responsibility over myself in the mm. sense that I had to earn my own money to pay all my stuff and never ask them anything.
1: Okay. So in high school, you've got these two jobs that you're doing. Were you also able to maintain your grades? Were you able to keep up in school? What happened?
0: Yes, I was somehow, but I was working very hard at home. Like I will have no time off. Like I wouldn't, like watching TV wasn't part of my life or doing anything really fun because I will go home and do my homework because I was also in an advanced international program. So I had to go home do these homework and later there's a part when i went in college and pre-med and i actually left pre-med school because it became too hard then because there's just a part of it at some point that it was i just couldn't keep up and i and i was you know um we did usually like our short-term memory is not really good, but a long-term memory is really good. <laughs> and so I will know all this stuff. But then in, in class, I was struggling and I was struggling with the pace that it was going. And at that time, I wasn't aware yet um, of why I was struggling so much. And I wasn't talking about it either. And I think the first time that I really noticed that help could be needed I was sitting in a classroom and there was this, this other girl that she, she sat in front with, like in front of the teacher. And she had someone beside her that was taking notes for her. And I watched her and she was really open and balanced. And she's like, yeah, I need help because of, um, of my brain, how it function And I look at her and I remember that in my head, it was a click. It was like, oh, I need this. Then I was still really ashamed and really, like, closed up that I didn't want to tell anyone. Like I, said, I was, it was looking like I was doing so great. So I didn't want to, people to know that I was struggling. I was hiding it. But there is help that people can get with what I'm experiencing. So then what happened after that? Well, after I... I left med school and I went into aviation, um, which was also the very, um, it was really fun and rewarding because I was making flight plans for pallets. Um, and so it was, it was always like, it was timely. It was really urgent all the time. So it was really feeding everything that I needed until it became too easy and kind of boring. and <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I was really, really good at it. A lot of problem solving and I climbed up in, in the leadership. And then at that time when I picked up paragliding, I was also doing that because I was feeling the fear every time I was about to take off and happy in the same time. And I was just highly impulsive. And so I was never taking a time, time back to be like, hey, should I be flying? It's like, oh, if other people are flying, I'm flying, no matter my skill level. And that's where, a year within doing this activity, um, that I had the paragliding accident because of that impulsivity. Because I that day I shouldn't have flown, and I knew like I was I was absolutely tired and hungry by the time I was about to fly, and and I should have just go home. <laughs> and,
1: so. Mm-hmm. At the time of that accident, did you already know I've got ADHD or no? No, it was after. Okay. Okay. So talk to me about the accident. So was this a pretty serious accident?
0: Um, it was in, in some ways, um, which I, I, I am grateful for this accident because I think it just, I become the person I am today, but um, I broke my back. I had a burst fracture. They actually had to. Oh, yeah, that's serious. Yeah, they had to remove the vertebrae, and then it did some uh, spinal cord injury as well. So I had my whole pelvic area that was uh, paralyzed. At least my oh legs my were gosh. working. My legs were working, um, and it's that's been what now about five years. So um, it's not like I still have spinal cord injury that may you know, never heal, because it's been such a long Mm -hmm. time, right, Um, that I'm struggling Mm -hmm. with still, but, you know, I can still do everything I want to do, and it led me to where I am today, where after that accident, I had, like, PTSD every night. I was in shock, and I found that no one, like, I saw a lot of professional for my physical body, and no one ever asked me are you seeing someone for psychologically for what just happened to you? Not even one person asked me and I was in shock and I didn't know I was in shock. I was having PTSD. I was still like, I was really ashamed that it happened and I wasn't telling anyone
1: and that it happened. mm -hmm. Didn't they know you were in the hospital and you had, or were you ashamed of the PTSD? Oh, no. I was
0: assuming an accident. I was in the hospital for three weeks, and I didn't tell anyone.
1: <laughs> I oh, know. my. Maybe. Oh, <laughs> I no. I know. So when you say that you had PTSD every night, what did that look like? What was mm. happening? It was, I was
0: not able to sleep. a moment I will close my eyes, I will be back where i was and what i was seeing was the people looking at me when i fell because i didn't lose consciousness and i i was brought back there all the time over and over again and i was just living the events over and over again with the emotions that i had at the moment of the accident so it was so you're just was, basically mm-hmm.
1: re-traumatizing yourself every single day
0: yeah yeah okay
1: so what happened then
0: hmm So because I think, you know, I believe we are so powerful with ADHD is even though I, my mind was constantly like working and replaying that because of my ADHD, it was always looking for a solution as well. My mind was like, okay, you have, you have to try it again because otherwise you're going to stay scared of it for the rest of your life, always mm. wondering if you should have tried again. And so, and I couldn't shut my mind. I couldn't shut my mind. And at that time, what happened is my body, because of the broken back, is my body wasn't wasn't functional the way it used to. So usually I will go and do all those mountains, all those hikings, all those backpacking, um, like all the time, like I will never relax. But then I realized with the, my body couldn't follow with my mind at that time <laughs> so it was there, there was a, a a dissonance between the two because my mind wanted all those things in my body couldn't follow and so I had to come up with new ideas like very being and the you know the positive of our brain is being really creative is we never short of ideas and they come <laughs> they come and so we try them and that's what happened for me. Like, and I've little by little, I tried again. I'm like, I ask a friend to be beside me the first time I I touch. It took me three months before I even touch my paraglider. Um, and I the first time I was like, I open it and I wanted my friend to look beside me, like if the paraglider was going to jump over me and kill me because my brain was in survival mode. And I'm like, can you just stand beside me while I'm like pulling it out because it's a big shoot. Um, and pulling it out and trying to strap it onto me because I was shaking as I was doing that, because my body remembered the the stress I had. Um, but he did, and I put it up and then nothing happened. And so it just it told informed my brain that okay, okay, it's safe. So I didn't go and fly right away that day. It took me a little bit more of that. Like just I took a step back just like to know that I'm safe. And that I can get into it now. But I'm like, I need to give myself time I pro- to process that I needed time. And then I slowly got back into it again. And I was really fortunate, not so long after, to meet with a community of other paragliders that also had spinal cord injury. And they, were, they started talking about it like, it's just really normal. Like absolutely normal. They were talking about how they the bladder and all the bodily function are not working and what they're doing about it, like so openly. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, oh, I'm not the only one struggling with all this.
1: <laughs> Hello. And that didn't make you say, Okay, there's all these people that happen that happened to. You. Maybe I shouldn't go do this again. <laughs> it was the opposite for you.
0: Yeah. Because I think. There's probably more chance to die from a car accident than paragliding. I think paragliding is just more impressive to watch, and it's impressive because an accident usually doesn't give a big margin of error. So if you make a mistake, it's I felt like I fell thirty feet from the sky because I did a, a bad maneuver. Yes, but I, you know, I I survived, <laughs> and I I you I just. Did. Okay. I just broke my back, nothing else, like not even an ankle. Like I landed on my feet and I didn't even break an ankle. So it amazed me how strong a body are. My
1: mother broke her back in a car accident. So yeah, at oh, least your story is a little more exciting, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Okay, it,
1: so, so lead us into paragliding to how did you get into hypnosis and hypnotherapy?
0: Yes. Um, and so has... I was expanding my community, I just, it's like I started healing as well and started looking into now how to manage my brain because I was still struggling with, um, like, so I have a partial paralysis of my bladder, so it's still nowadays, so it's something that I have to manage all the time. And so at the beginning, when everything was really new and I was feeling out of control, like... I felt absolutely out of control, and that was frustrating for a young woman to lose function of her bladder all the time. Yeah, but I had to find solution. How? What am I going to do to not to to get control over my mind? And I can either just self-loathe or try to find ways that I wasn't gonna. Pee in my pens wherever I go, mm-hmm. and so that's mm-hmm. what that's why I started focusing on because that was more important to me. <laughs> but because of that, I started really understanding kind of the brain how it function, and eventually led me to the more I look into the subconscious brain, and to lend me to um, hypnosis. And I ended up um, stumbling upon a school in in actually Bellingham Cascade Hypnosis Center, which which offer hypnosis training to become a hypnotherapist. And I'm like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. I want to help people like me that wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about going to see a psychologist. Somehow it just never crossed my mind because um, i I went once, like earlier in my life, and I didn't have a good experience, and my brain kind of decided that it wasn't good for me and <laughs> somehow, which is not true. I think it can help a lot of people, but so I found like you know hypnosis. It can really make changes on the subconscious mind. It can really help you tap into the inner and power so much faster and so much efficiently. And so at that time, I decided to do the training and. And to start doing that and helping people, and it didn't only help my clients to to get over like a lot of things they were ha- trying to overcome because it worked really fast. Like, but I learned um, the self hypnosis I learned, which is a really the self hypnosis I learned is uh, different. It's different in meditation because it bypasses the analytical mind when you get into that alpha state, when you get into that normal hypnosis state that, by the way, we experience every single day. But you create that space to access your subconscious mind. And and it the way this one works is it works with um, this sentence I've already written. It's a systematic approach and technique that you do that, and then you get insights. Because your brain, we want to come in dissonance. It comes in dissonance with what is said because they want to say, hey, um, I don't believe what you're saying in your self-hypnosis. But then you keep repeating it and it just, at some point, it becomes just who you are and it beca- start believing it because the more you come in dissonance, the more you remove all that is not true with the work that you're doing. And so that actually helped me remove the the last little bits that I had of PTSD. And then I felt myself completely free. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to teach that to everyone.
1: <laughs> okay. So what is the difference between hypnosis and hypnotherapy?
0: Mm, they are the same. Is there a difference? Okay. Therapy, it means moving you towards wellness right and so the word is used sometimes with hypnotherapy because depending where you are people when they hear hypnotist they have this belief that hypnotist is someone on a stage that is going to make them quack like a duck
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) exactly right okay so talk to me about the science behind hypnotherapy convince me (laughs) um that this has been, I'm assuming, well, you tell me, has this been studied? Is it, you know, are there lots of peer reviewed studies on hypnosis and how well it works for things like PTSD?
0: Oh, yeah, over and over again. And I mean, there's a lot of medical school that I've shown really proven studies how powerful that is to access subconscious mind. And so, Basically, what happened is what really is when we are in a hypnotic state, it's like we are in the situation like it's happening all over again, like reliving PTSD, you are in that state of hypnosis. And you actually are enforcing your PTSD by reliving over and Mm -hmm. over again. But you can also yes, you can also use that to your benefit. So if you were to have a situation that you're reliving but that is more of a positive outcome or just a change of perception, then you will have the same effect, but that will help you in a positive way. Okay. So when you want to learn to relax and give yourself suggestion, you are literally talking about your subconscious mind. And there is a lot of misinformed people who don't believe in hypnosis, and that is because how it's portrayed in Hollywood and in movies, that people can control their people's minds and behavior against their will. And that's just not possible. That's not true. Because otherwise, all hypnotists of this world will have taken over the world. Wouldn't that be true? Hypnosis is on doors by Harvard, Stanford, Yale, Columbia, the Mayo Clinic, the National Institute of Health, the American Psychological, the American Psychiatric, the British Medical Association, the American Dental Association, and an hospital in France, Saint-Léon, is using hypnosis instead of general anesthesia. In the Montreal Children's Hospital, I started using hypnosis to help with pain and anxiety and reduce medication. And according so, the Stanford Institute of Mind Brain Research, one of the most effective uses of hypnosis, the trend state, is pain alleviation or elimination. And as a matter of fact, it's been. Medically demonstrated and prove that people that use hypnosis prior to surgery use 90% less anesthesia than people who do not use hypnosis. And women also use hypnosis for what we call hypnobirthing to go through birthing without the epidurals and medication. So there have been a lot, a lot, massive amount of research around the concept of hypnosis. And so to now believe in hypnosis, it's it's fine. But it's some ways saying that someone don't believe in gravity, um, but that someone believe it or not, it is the power that we have in our mind, the power to do just about anything. And I have seen people do extraordinary things just with hypnosis and have gone to amazing places in their mind to do the change. They want to change in their life.
1: Wonderful. Okay. So. The next question is then, how did you connect hypnotherapy with managing ADHD symptoms? Mm. So I found that with self-hypnosis,
0: when I did that on my private mind, is I, I tried to do meditation before, and it was just not working for me because I couldn't just lay down and just let my thoughts go. Like, I will not be able to do that. But um the self hypnosis I learned, it just, I can relate. It's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And but it's just constantly, it's like there's always something happening because the way uh, this one is is kind of work with like what we call recognition or affirmation uh, that are crafted specially to to do that kind of insightful work. So there's always something going on, and because of that, it just keeps me engaged enough that it allows me to do the work I need to do. That is even go deeper for me than meditation. Because I mean, if I'm not doing meditation and I'm not getting anything from meditation.
1: Okay. You meet with a client. What do you do first, second, third? Can you just sort of walk us through it so that we have an idea of what the process feels like?
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's just a lot. So we work with nurses with relaxation. So for me, in my office, so my clients will come, um, we set the goals with them, and if they want to do hypnosis, no one can force anyone to be in the state of hypnosis if they don't want to. It's not mind controlling, and so they get into the chair, and all I do is I guide them through a relaxation, allowing them to get deeper relaxing their body and relaxing their mind in the way that allows for accessing that alpha state. And really, it's focused attention. But when you get into that alpha state, when you allow that relaxation to happen, not only on the body level, but on the mind level, which I guide them through that so I don't stop talking. So they are focusing on my voice as they're going through that. And I have... You know, I know their hypnosis because I talk to them and I I have them do a little exercise and I know when they are in hypnosis. It's just a state of mind in a way that's made to have a focus on what needs to be worked on to get the result that you want to have.
1: Okay, so now talk to us about... So what you're doing, it sounds like, is you are basically... Teaching people with ADHD how to self hypnotize—that's what your book is doing. Is that correct? Yes, and and some part, yes. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> okay, where am I wrong? Okay, yeah, because I um, I help people on many levels. So finish what you start is really um, a state of being, um, and with self hypnosis, what I really brought into that is all the inside of how to get to that state, but also how to get be successful in finishing what we start. And what are the blocks that we're getting in our life when we know we want to get something done, but we just can't get there. And we don't really understand consciously what's going on. And so um, there are blocks that are operating subconsciously or unconsciously that are not allowing us to reach that goal because they are other things I want to get addressed first. And so it helps getting through that. So, I mean, the thing is with, with my book, you can't, you you get in a kind of state of hypnosis when, when you read a book, actually, when you have focused attention, it's possible to get into a a light state of hypnosis, reading a book, but it really like explain some of those blocks and how to get through them. And, how to use what I've learned working with my clients and seeing when I help them to finish what they start. And that was kind of the team that kept coming back. Um, and what some of the things that we work on with those clients to, to get through that success, to get them where they wanted to be and be successful.
1: What would you say if I asked you, how is it different than meditation, mindfulness, tapping? Like, what is it that's different about hypnosis?
0: I think in all those, we can reach the mind state of the alpha state, but it's not everyone that everything works for everyone. And I think what's important is to find what what works for us and what we feel the safer to do the safest for me. What it allows me is when I have my chatter brain box going on my busy mind, then if I'm, if I am in the middle of chaos, then I can repeat myself the self-hypnosis. Like if they are just a kind of affirmation and it relaxes me instant instantly because the practice I do when I lay down and take the time to do my self-hypnosis, then when I'm in my worst in a really bad situation or something to calm myself in all the ways, then I can just start repeating the same practice and, and it will automatically calm my nervous system down. But for me, like for example, for me, it's something that I can do in my own mind. So I can be, like there was a time I was standing in the middle of Delhi in India and it's complete chaos if you've ever been there. And I felt, overwhelm so many people, so many activities, so many noise. And I was about to just wanting to cry. But at that moment, I was, all I started to do is to repeat myself, what I've been doing in my practice, my self-hypnosis practice, repeat it to myself and allow my system, nervous system to calm down. So really, you know, I think a lot of those practice, we do... We do them because we want to feel better, but also once we do them enough, because when we really need them, they just become automatic. And that's what we want.
1: I, I really love that answer. So basically what you're saying is, yes, all of these different therapies, they calm your nervous system. So... You need to just pick the therapy that you relate to most and that works best for you. And this is one of, in your toolbox, this is a potential mm-hmm. tool that can do just that. I mean, I love,
0: I love EFT as well, but I would not, I would not do like, I could do that. I guess if I'm mm-hmm. in, in the line, getting caffeine, getting overwhelmed, <laughs> I could do that. The EFT is I could, tapping. Yeah. It's so t- tapping, but, but for me, like I, I change them um, when I need them because sometimes um, some work better for some situation than others. And it just, yeah, like you said, it's your toolbox. And I, I like having a big toolbox. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. Okay, so what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is?
0: So what I find is to first cover the basic. 'Cause with no enough sleep and no food, there's absolutely nothing that can get done or get accomplished. So I'm always really realistic about how much sleep did I get? How much f am I feeding my physical body? Um, because if that's not being taken care of, like no matter how hard I try to focus and accomplish something, it just will be 10, 20, 30 times harder already. And the second thing is to also feed the brain with joy and fun because it's just natural endorphins. And when we, if we don't do that enough, what happens is a, a mind wants to do it for us. Because it 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 needs a breaks once in a while, and the, and the, that's when we we get easily the di- more distracted. Like we find ourselves that now we start reaching for food or or other distractor that we don't really want to have, but that sometimes just become what feeds all feed our soul or brain with pleasure. And so we have to make sure that further that we feed our, our physical body and the mind in a way that allow us now to to get more done
1: and to be able to focus and follow through and finish what we start. Makes sense. And do you have a number one ADHD workaround for us? Mm -hmm. Um, I use my negativity bias
0: all the time. Um, Are you familiar with that term?
1: No. I mean, of course, I've heard of negativity bias, but I, I don't. I don't know what you're getting at. So I'm interested.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, the mind naturally wants to. It's programmed to always see the worst outcome of everything, because thousands of years ago, our survival depended of that. So it w- it would have allow us to remember um, the bad berries, or that there was a cyber tiger running after us it it allow, it allow us to survive then. But the thing is, even though we, we did evolve, we still have this natural negativity bias. And we are just programmed that way to always see the worst of everything. So if we receive like one bad email, um, but we receive 99 good one, like emails or reviews, then we aren't going to forget that we just received 99 good ones. And we're going to focus on that bad one.
1: Totally. Totally. Okay. So how do you use
0: it? Okay. Yes. So what I do is when I can't get myself to do something, I use that. So (laughs) I like to use the dishes as an example, because I think everyone can relate that they maybe don't want to do dishes (laughs) and everyone always has dishes to do. It's just a problem that everyone can mean in their life. And so sometimes if I know I have dishes to do and I can't get myself to do it. And so I I create that negativity bias, the worst outcome of not doing it, which is also creating an urgency. Right. And but if I make it bad enough of me not doing it, then my brain automatically is going to slowly move and go and do it. And it works. And I do, I, I started, I realized that I do that for a lot of things without even knowing that I'm like, I don't want to do something. And I'm like, well, if you don't do it, then this and this is going to happen. And this and this. And then it motivates me. And that's how I end up having
1: things to getting done. <laughs> so you scare yourself into doing them. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and that's, I find it's, it's I mean, really efficient. Yeah. So tell me, what is the worst thing that happens if you don't do your dishes? Are you talking about, oh, there's maggots on the plate? <laughs> like, what is, what are you thinking of in your head, your brain?
0: <laughs> um, when it's, when it's really bad, I start even using, um, like, I visualize the dirty uh, plates, like me doing it, li- being there for a day or two, I, I, also like to use like if I don't do it now I'm gonna have to do it tomorrow and I don't want to do it tomorrow it seems worse than doing it now (laughs) and um and I use that a lot and when and if sometimes I also use just to make something fun out of it um yes for the for this, for example, like I reserve my favorite TV show. Like I'm like, then I can, and I love doing those two together because it, I love doing something boring while watching a TV show. It keeps, I mean, I guess hyperactivity. <laughs> it it, it keeps yeah. me very no, satisfied.
1: Works.
0: Yeah. So I do it that a lot. That
1: works. Okay. Well, that one makes a lot of sense to me. The first one just makes me laugh. I think it's funny. Okay. So, where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do, Maggie? Yes, absolutely. So, I want to give my
0: book away uh, for anyone listening to this podcast. So, they can go to, yeah, they can go to ADHD. That is so nice of you. Yeah. ADHDbookgiveaway.com. Um, and they can get there, so they can have it. It's an e-book. Um, but you can download that into your Kindle um, if you use that. in yeah, so um, edhdbookgiveaway.com.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Um, they can also, if they want a physical book, though, they can buy it on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, on Amazon. Maggie, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. Um, I really appreciate your insights on um, hypnotherapy. Well, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. It was amazing being able to talk with you on that. So that's what I have for you for this week. One more thing. If you struggle with planners, um, I have created one just for the ADHD brain. It's easy in and easy out. So you'll actually use it. And you can still find it at spyhappy.me forward slash planner. So if you like this episode with Meggie, Meggie, who did I get it right? Meggie? Yes. Yes, you did. Oh my gosh, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help. So thank you for listening, and I will see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for smart ass women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka. And we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for smart ass women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-O-K system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.